How many of you have caught any of the doorway to the supernatural? Wow, a lot of you. Man, oh man, I thought there was none of you. So, uh, but too late, you're going to get to hear some of the same stuff. But it never comes out the same anyway. And uh, I could preach on it a hundred times and never be the same. But uh, I think on Wednesday nights, uh, you cannot hear enough of it. You, you just can't. But uh, as you listen to it, something gets on you. Something gets in you. It transforms your mindset. And every time you hear something, it's really a seeking. You're looking for something. You're, you're finding something. You're knocking on something. And something will be opened unto you. So on these uh, Wednesday nights, uh, even though you listen to it maybe through the week, I still want to encourage you to come out Wednesday night. Uh, and I'm going to teach on these. I, I wasn't. I wasn't going to do this. But before the service, the Lord just spoke to me to begin to uh, deal with this. And I'm just going to pick them at random. And uh, the gifts, instead of just going through uh, a list of them, but uh, let's look at 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, and verse 7, and we're going to read down to verse 11. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11. I've been hearing about the Holy Ghost and the gifts for 36 years, and I'm still looking at them as a child. Just looking at them as a child. In 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11, it says this. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man. Somebody say every man. Every man. man. They are given to cause you to be profitable over all your life with Christ. And then it says, for to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge, to another the... And word of knowledge by the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit to another the gifts of healing by the same spirit to another the working of miracles to another prophecy to another discerning of spirits to another diverse kinds of tongues to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the self same spirit dividing to every man severally as he wills. First of all, let's just clear this, clarify this. If the gifts of the Spirit had been done away with, this chapter would have been a useless instruction. They would not have to, would ever have been mentioned. They never would have had to been explained. Now, some say the gifts were done away with until that which was whole was come. We prophesy in part because we know in part. But the truth of the matter, the whole or the whole truth has never come. We still look through a, a cloud in, in fuzzy ways. We don't see the completeness of it. We look as it were through a vapor. And so it will never be what it's supposed to be. And we never will understand it until Jesus Christ himself comes. We find that in 1 John 3, 1 and 2, that says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Even though it doesn't now appear unto us, even in our seeking and our discoverings, what we are, but we do know that when he appears, 
we shall be like him. And so we do need the gifts of the Spirit in our life today. If we needed, if the son of perdition and evil is going to wax worse and worse, which is going to, in 1 Timothy, the third chapter, in the latter days, there'll be teachings of devils and so forth. There will be rising up, Jesus said in Matthew 24, here is a Christ, there is a Christ. If we are ever going to dispute the false Christ, then we need to have foundations and something that proves the reality of the only Jesus Christ. Amen? And what do the gifts do? The gifts confirm unveil and establish Jesus's identity through God. And so we as believers need to have the infilling of the Holy Ghost and the activity of the gifts. And so as we go into this, we want to understand that we may not be perfect in them, but without growing in them, you will never ever become successful in its use. The Bible gives us a, a little secret about growing and maturing in things in Hebrews, the fifth chapter, and verse 12. Let's go to Hebrews 5, 12, and we'll be right back to, uh, well, we might not come back there. So let's go to Hebrews, the fifth chapter, and I think it's in verse, well, let's go to verse 11. Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be heard, or uttered, seeing that ye are dull of hearing. For when the time that ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one would teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For every one that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. In other words, when we use what we have, what God has given to us, what he has enabled us and empowered us with, that is a part of becoming a mature Christian. Amen? And so when we start using the gifts of the Spirit, we may make a million mistakes, but remember what makes a mistake a sin, intent and motive. If you do not intentionally try to manipulate people or try to use it for your own exhortation, your own uh, uh, qualification, uh, or acceptance among other people, then if your intent is to glorify Christ and you miss it, well, then you missed it. The Bible says instructions are a way of life. See, we think if we miss it or a failure happens, well, God just wasn't in it. No, that, that's not true at all. And so we have to understand that we are learning. We are as children and we are maturing into men and women of God. And so we don't always have the mishaps that took place in the apostles and the prophets and the other disciples' lives. But let me tell you something, there's a lot of them. Just know that there are a lot of them. And so we need to understand we're going to grow. We're going to make mistakes. But a mistake does not mean 
to separate from that which God has called us to do and called us to be a part of. Amen. Amen. And see, that's the problem with the church. They say, well, that, those persons, that's craziness. And, well, look, every basket of nuts got a few ones that stick out. And, and so, you know, you just have to get over that stuff. Amen. And the point in case, I've known lots of Baptists that, that are just, you know, a friend of mine was a Baptist. And uh, he told me one time, he said, man, he said, Peter, I was in the church the other night. And I said, okay, yeah, what? He said, and uh, they had this sign over the pulpit, uh, no premillennial preachers. And uh, somebody was a premillennial believer over here and somebody over here wasn't. They got into an argument and they started fighting in the middle of the aisle. Now, I don't think that takes place in uh, all the Baptist churches. I just, it has the potential, but it has the potential in any church. Amen. Yeah, we all live spiritual while we're in the house, but we can get real carnal when we reach the car. Hallelujah. Ask your wife. Hallelujah. Yes, hallelujah. You know, God's in charge, brother, until you don't get your way. I understand it all. I understand you. And so we have to understand that we're going to grow, we're going to make mistakes. But mistakes do not mean that we are not going to pursue. Could I get an amen? We are commanded to covet two things, to covet the gifts of the Spirit and to covet to prophesy. Those are the only two places that we are uh, commanded to covet. And covet simply means to burn with a passion that cannot be denied in this life. And what the church needs is a passion for the manifestation of the things of God in our life and in our services. Amen? So tonight, we're going to talk about uh, the gifts. Now, remember that the gifts are entirely different than the fruits. We understand that when it talks in Galatians, and let's go back to Galatians 5, and I think it's a verse, we'll start in 16. Galatians 5, 16. This is the fruit of the Spirit. And some people say, well, this is the fruit of the Holy Ghost. Mm, yeah, well, let's see what the Bible says. It's amazing that what we think sometimes is not near what the Bible says. Galatians 5.16. <clears throat> this I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to the one and to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Now, right there is a great secret. Anytime that your flesh is rising up, understand the Holy Ghost is in motion trying to get you in the place that God wants you to be. Good again, amen. Absolutely. So every time the flesh tries to rise up in your house, in your workplace, in your car, wherever it might be, understand that God is already in the move, on the move. And the reason that the flesh is rising up is because the devil is stirring it so that it can stop the move of God. You un understand that we are more powerful than the devil can really handle. And so he uses our own strengths against us. Well, what, what's strong about lust? passions and desires and if you can get them channeled 
towards your wife, towards your family, towards the purpose of God, Amen. guess what? Hallelujah. Amen. They are a strong force to be reckoned with. Amen. Now, we have to understand that here it tells us that the lust of the flesh jumps up in order to combat the leadings or the activities of the Spirit of God to keep you from being apprehended or fulfilling the steps of the Lord. So think about that next time you want to get aggravated, mad, or whatever. And I'm not talking to anybody special, Phyllis. Uh, I, I, just, I, I just think that you have to know that God is about to do something. Amen? Hallelujah. All right, let's move on. Praise God. And it says, But if ye be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. Wow. And for the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, which are, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, immunizations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revilings, and such like, such like, such like. That means anything connected that could possibly lead back to these things being manifested Amen. in any way, shape, or form like the thought, fornication. But Jesus says the thought is a sin. So when it says, or anything like these, it simply means any of this stuff that's going to lead you to this, it's sin. It's sin. Amen? And then it says this, and... Uh, Envies and murders, uh, such like before I have told you, I'm sorry. In time past that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit. Now, what is Paul revealing the works of the flesh and then the fruit of the Spirit? He's comparing the rule of the old man to the new man. We can tell if a man is not joined or operating in the best of the kingdom, its representation and its fulfillment, if his life is producing sinful things. We understand that those men are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. We understand that. But then Paul says, but this is how you see the other side of the recreated man. And then it says this, the fruit of the Spirit, not the Holy Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith, meekness, temperance, and against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the afflictions, affections, I'm sorry, and the, with the lust. And we, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, proving, provoking one another, envying one another. So here we see that it's the fruit of the Spirit. Paul is saying this is how we determine characterize, define the activity of a man that belongs to the kingdom. Now, these gifts, these fruits, are given to you and I to verify or to establish what? To establish our 
place or our spiritual life with Christ, that we are born-again people. Amen. Amen? So the fruits of the Spirit identify the believer. Jesus said, by this will they know that you're my disciples if you have what? Love one for another. So we understand that if we love people, we keep the commandments of God. Remember that it says that where these fruits are, there is no law. Amen. So he that loves God keeps his commandments. He that loves the brethren establishes Jesus' lordship that he is identified as their ruler or their Lord. So these fruits are given to you and I. They are a part of our makeup. Now, these are given to us in seed form. Remember, the Bible says God gives unto every man the measure of faith. Right? The measure of faith. That measure of faith, Romans 12, 3, is given to you to be custodian over. You are to nurture it, feed it, use it, strengthen it, mature it, become skillful in it. Love. Romans 5, 8, is shed abroad by the Holy Ghost in our hearts. Does everybody act in love? Oh, I'll answer that. Don't, don't even embarrass yourself. No! But it's there in seed form. Paul tells us if we're going to judge people, we must grow in love. Anybody that has not grown in love has no right to judge anybody else. Not even those that are within. And so we understand that these are fruits. Jesus said this, you shall know them by their... So fruits of the Spirit are an identifying factor, John, of the believer, of who we are. They do not identify the Holy Ghost. They don't do it. They identify the nature that is in an individual. You can tell if they're born again by their fruits. They can say they have fruits, but the fruit is in the pudding. If they aren't producing the pudding, they aren't. Could again, amen. Absolutely. In fact, Jesus is going to use that because when they come up, they're going to say, did we not do this? And did we not do that in your name? Did we not prophesy in your name? Jesus never said, no, you didn't. You're lying. He never denied that they did that. But what he says is this, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, those void of the fruit. There is nothing between you and I that are dis extremely anything that is alike. Well, what does that mean? It means that they might have done things in the name of Jesus by the gifts of the Spirit, through the gifts of the Spirit, but they never had the fruit you are not going to heaven if you use the gifts or not you are going to heaven based upon a fruitful life of developing what you have on the inside of you as seed form now we mature these nine seeds by the growth of our faith faith worketh by love Love is matured and activated and fulfilled by faith. Amen. 
You can't just say, I'm going to love you. You have to do something by faith. So we understand that these nine fruits of the Spirit identify the Christian. Now the nine gifts of the Spirit identify God. Nicodemus said this, no man could do what you're doing except God be with him. Now, were there miracles and things taking places in other places? Absolutely. Do you know that Balaam was a sorcerer? Must have been a very successful one because King Balak was fighting a nation that had not been conquered. He didn't bring up second string sorcerers. He called up the best. He said, curse these men. Now, he must have had some type of past. Remember that Simeon deceived the people by doing sorceries and so forth. So there must have been some type of success of sorcerers and witches in Christ's time. But when Jesus comes on the scene, he verifies that God is with him. And so the nine gifts of the Spirit identify God or reveal God to the world. Okay, you got that? Nine fruits are your identification. Nine gifts are God's identification. And we're going to unveil them as we go in here, uh, let's, so let's just get into it. Hallelujah. Praise God. There's so much to say. All right. <clears throat> First Corinthians, uh, the 12th chapter, and let's look down at verse 10. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of those tongues. I want to talk to you tonight about prophecy. Years ago I did a series on prophets, prophecy, and error. Now, the vocal gifts, the gifts of the spirit, nine of them, are divided up traditionally in three classes. There are the power gifts, which have to do with the gifts of healing, the working of miracles, the gift of faith. They do something. They produce evidence. And then the other is the revelatory gifts or the revelation gifts, which have to do with the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and the discerning of spirits. And then there are what is called the vocal gifts, which is what causes the majority of the confusion in the church today. Why? Because they can be mimicked more easily and more readily than any of the other gifts. Now, these three gifts are prophecy, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. When these are misused, they cause people to despise the gifts of the Spirit. And this does not come from the world. It comes from the ignorance of the church. I thought it was the devil. 
No, sometimes people can act like devils, but they don't really have them. They're just putting on like a Halloween costume. No. Now, let's go to, uh, to prove that fact. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter. Because this is where most of the church is today. <clears throat> you don't hear many churches allowing prophecy, tongues, or interpretation of, from anybody except somebody that is pastor or something like that. But remember that the gifts of the Spirit are given to the body of Christ. And it says uh, in, uh, let's see, okay, let's go uh, in verse 18, 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the Spirit. Now, you know, just by saying that, that Paul is contending with that in the church at Thessalonica, or he wouldn't have said it. Quench means to push down, take the hunger away, dry up the reservoirs of coveting, wipe it out so you never ever have to have a manifestation of it. Quench not the spirit. And then it says this, despise not prophesying. Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. In other words, Paul tells us that people come to the place that they despise the activity of the Holy Ghost in the church. And so they are pushing or quenching the Holy Ghost, stopping the movement of the Holy Ghost because there have been problems. Paul says, look, prove all things. Prove all things. Look. If somebody prophesies and they're off, then make the correction. That's what he's saying to us. And again, these things are brought about by the church and its ignorance. I don't think there's much rebellion in the church. I think there's much ignorance in the church. And the ignorance is not just the church's fault. It's the pulpit's fault. Because they don't teach and they're afraid of people. They're afraid to orchestrate chastisement or correction when it's needed. But if you can't endure the chastisement in the house of love, then we have to wonder, why are you even attempting to prophesy or speak in tongues and interpret? We have to understand that we prove all things. So when it comes forth, it has to be proved. Amen. And so that's just a part of the protection of the house and the order of the house. Now you might say, but I've heard people say, I understand that you've heard people say things that may not have been right. But when you're, as for a pastor, I'm not going to get people to dot every I, cross every T. What I'm looking for is the intent and the motive. Now, you may look for perfection. That's probably why you never make your way up here. That's true. I hate to say it, but it's the, it is the truth. But we're great criticizers. We're just chickens when it comes out using our faith for other people. Anybody can be a sideline quarterback. Amen? 
anybody can be better at looking at what somebody else did than looking at what they did. Amen. Amen? And so Jesus uses a scenario, he that is without sin cast the first stone. And when the crowd, when he lifts up, they're all scattered. Why? Because they're all a bunch of ragged dogs looking to criticize, and, and they've all been stuck in sin, and Jesus knows half of them already still involved in it. So, and since I'm not Jesus, I'm not near like that. So what we want to do is we want to realize that when people come forth, as a pastor, I'm not looking at every I, every T, every job. I'm not looking for perfection. I'm looking for faith being activated by love to obedience to a God through an imperfect vessel. That's what I'm looking for. So intent and motive is more important to me than content. I expect the church to be mature enough to eat chicken, swallow the meat, and spit the bones. I, I mean, that's, that's, isn't that, I mean, we are mature enough to say, oh, I know the sun doesn't rise out of the, what does it rise out of? <laughs> East? What if somebody stood up and said, just as sure as the sun rises out of the west, I'm coming again, saith the Lord. So if I would say, oh, you know that was false prophecy. No, that was just ignorance of where the sun comes up. Well, if it was inspired of God, they wouldn't have made a mistake. You can't be talking under the inspiration because you're criticizing. Let's just move right on over. So we have to realize that things are not going to be perfect, but we have to look at the intent and the motive of those that are in the house. That's what we have to look at. Amen? And uh, let me tell you my first message on the Holy Ghost. I worked beside a Baptist, which kept telling me all day long, no, you got the Holy Ghost when you got saved. But I went to a Pentecostal church that told me all the time, you need to get filled with the Holy Ghost. You don't have him yet. You just got saved or you just got a portion of him. You know, there's some weird stuff out there. And so finally, I, I got to preach one time. I'm preaching on the Holy Ghost. And I said, I'm telling you, we need the Holy Ghost. Now, don't ask me if you get it when you get saved or you get it later. But I'm just telling you, I don't know how we get it, but we need him. That was my great revelation of the Holy Ghost. But I didn't understand. And so, but we do grow. Amen. And so, but my intent and my purpose was not to hurt anybody. And, uh, you know, so... We have to grow. We have to judge other people. So what we have is in these vocal gifts, there are more mistakes, problems, because you get a perf perfect God giving a perfect word for a perfect purpose, but is delivered through an imperfect vessel. A person that has their own personality, their own thoughts, maybe their own directive. But God still uses them. And we have to realize, just like Peter. How many of you love the Apostle Peter? I, I like him because it's the best name in the Bible. And the other thing is, is that he wrote two books, and I'm telling you, the, the guy was used of God. His shadow walked by and people got healed. But what's he do at the church of Galatia that Paul gives birth to through intercession and through prayer? He goes over there and convinces them to accept another gospel. 
And Paul says, whoever told you this, let him be cursed. He's cursing Peter. And then you go into the second, the third chapter, you find out who hath bewitched you. In other words, who has pulled this deceptive sorcery work over you that you now think you can go under the law and reject the cross and grace? Guess who the little culprit was? Feed my sheep. Three times, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Peter went and fed him, and then he went back and bewitched him and deceived him. He had to be rebuked. Wow. And God still used him to write two Amen. books of the Bible Amen. that we're supposed to read, rejoice in, and live by. Amen. What if he made a mistake in one of them? Oh, Jeezy. Uh, he didn't. Now, but what I want you to realize is that everybody's not perfect. But it doesn't mean God throws imperfect vessels away. Amen? Hallelujah. All right. So we have this gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy. There is a grave difference between the office of a prophet. The office of a prophet is an enablement or an anointing that falls upon an individual before the foundations of the earth and that that office then is fulfilled at an appointed time. Somebody might get saved in 1950, but never come to the place of being able to fulfill their office, John, till 1999, because it will have to do with their maturity, with their ability to reason, to understand the scriptures, to apply them, and the Bible says we never put a novice any place, least they be lifted up, and they fall and take other people with them. So God wants to make sure that a prophet being having that office would be able to stand in the office that brings much criticism, as well as spiritual attacks. And sometimes people have gifts in the kingdom that may never come to fruition because of their immaturity, their ability to be offended, their ability to be angered, their ability to always be on the edge of getting crosswired with somebody over the least little bit of nothing. Remember what we read when we first started. The lust of the flesh works against the work of the Spirit. So all that stuff that we think is out, oh, that's just my personality. No, that's, that's your flesh. Yeah, that's your flesh stopping you from obtaining or operating in the purpose and the goal and the call of God in your life. Sometimes I think that the greatest enemies to our spiritual life is ourself. Yeah, if myself wouldn't follow me around, I'm telling you, I'd always live in love. I would just love everybody. It's that guy that follows me all around and says, oh, don't you not like that? Don't you hate when people do that? Yes, I know it. I'll tell you. That. He said, I thought so. I'll tell you. And all God was trying to do is get me to love him so I could say, hi, brother, how are you doing? He'd shake my hand and say, oh, you're the guy that God showed me to give a million dollars to. Yes. 
You think it's not that easy. It is just that easy to miss the blessing of God. And so, a lot of times when these gifts and callings are given to people, they may not become activated immediately, but they will be activated when there is enough spiritual establishment and maturity to handle the uh, gift and the call as well as the pressure that comes with it. The pressures that come with it. And so we have to be careful that we don't just, you know, something that God speaks to or something, we don't just throw it off because it didn't happen in three months. God is not a Burger King God. He is King of Kings, but he's not a Burger King. You can't just drive through and say, hey, give me a fried up one. You can't do that. All right. And uh, so there is a grave difference between prophesying and the office of a prophet. The office of the prophet is given for an entirely different thing than prophecy is given to. Let's go to 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter, and verse 1. 1 Corinthians 14, 1. And it says this, follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men. Somebody say, unto men. Unto men for, the, for these three things, to edify, exhort, and to comfort. Edify, exhort, and comfort. Now, that is the purpose of the gift. It's been defined. We don't have to add to it. We don't have to accentuate it. We don't have to uh, stir it up, make it more glamorous. It is what it is. In its simplistic form, it will do just what the voice of God would do if he was in the midst of the people. And he is, he's finding a mouthpiece. So it's simple. It's that it exhorts, edifies, and comforts. That's it. That's what the gift of prophecy does. But then when we look at the office of the prophet, it will go to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. This is... Uh, passage of scripture that defines what we call a five-fold ministry. The hand of God or the hand of Christ reaching to the church. And it's found in Ephesians 4 and verse 8. And it says, Wherefore he setteth when he ascended up on high to heaven. He led captivity captive those that were up in paradise, he led out of paradise into heaven and gave gifts unto men. Now that, now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists 
some pastors and teachers. Really, a lot of times people would say that the pastor and the teacher are the same office, which I believe that they are. But you can be a teacher and not be a pastor because they're teaching elders. Uh, and so we see, now here's what these gifts are given to, or these offices are given. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come into the unity of the faith or of the knowledge of the sons of God, unto a perfect man, to the measure of the full statue of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now, the gift or the office of the prophet functions to do one thing in the body of Christ where the gift of prophecy operates to do another. One is momentary, the other is lifelong. Okay, and we can also find this if you go to 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter. We will uh, look at uh, the office of a prophet. And let's see, it will be... Okay, let me see where... Let me find it. wasn't planning on this part, but we'll jump in here. Uh, I'm looking for uh, if something is revealed to another that the uh, other prophet stays quiet. Uh, verse 30. Okay. And the spirits of the prophets are subject, are subject unto the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. Let your women keep silent let's not go there hallelujah all right let's i'm sorry let's go to verse 29 and let the prophets speak two or three and let the other judge if anything be revealed to another that sitteth by let the first hold his peace preferring what it means preferring your brother but if ye prophesy ye all may prophesy one by one and that all may learn and all may be comforted. Now, please, it doesn't mean that we all get a prophesy at one time. The order has already been set by the office whereby we learn and whereby we are taught. And that is by the mouth of one, uh, two, or three. So it tells us here that we are to listen. And if the prophet has something to say, we need to adhere to it. This is the teaching part of the prophet. And so we get to see that, but understand that the order is set by the office. 
which does what? That we may grow up in the fullness of Christ. And then it talks that we may all prophesy. Remember, the gifts for is given to every man to profit wherewithal or to profit in the entirety or every spectrum of his life. So what we see is that this gift is given to the church to edify, comfort, and exhort, right? But the office of the prophet is different. It has a teaching gift that goes with it. The office of the prophet is usually accompanied by three of the gifts of the Spirit. One is, of course, the prophetic, prophesying. That usually in, entails with it a word of knowledge. And it has a word of knowledge about where they are, what they're going through, and so forth. And then it has to do, usually, is accompanied with the discerning of spirits. And then it is usually accompanied by either the working of miracles or the gifts of healing, one of the power gifts. And so he, the gift, the office of the prophet, covers or is activated in some way, shape, or form in every class of the nine gifts of the spirit which the vocal gifts, the power gifts, or the revelatory gifts, because he has to be able to know, he has to be able to see, he has to be able to confirm and demonstrate, and he has to be able to discern what is happening and what is God and what is not God. So we see that in the office of the prophet. So the office of the prophet is not the gift of prophecy. Now, what, man, uh, Okay. Nah. <laughs> I'm just wondering if I want to jump into it or not. And, uh, okay. Let's say this. People grow in the use of gifts. Sometimes when people are getting their feet wet, when they're stepping up to it, they may not understand the full capacity of the operation of the Spirit of God or of the Holy Ghost working on us. So what we do sometimes, people that would be unctioned or urged by God to prophesy, they would think that they needed to have the whole prophecy. But remember that God will start you out with one word of prophecy. You may feel like you should just... Say something, but God, I've only got one word. That's okay, because every gift is always connected to the act of the individual's faith. God never separates himself from the faith of a believer. And so you may get one word in a service and think, well, I can't prophesy, I don't have the rest of it. No, that one word is the beginning. Remember what a seed is. It's the beginning of something greater. So a word, one word, is a seed. And it is a seed to the harvest that you're going to get when you say, God said, that's it. Then God's going to open the floodgates. And so it's going to happen. Now, you may get that word, and you, you might think, but, but how am I supposed to do it? Well, you just simply have to believe God and trust God. Remember, intent and motive. Now, when people get into that, sometimes they will get into an exhortation. 
And when they get into the exhortation, it doesn't mean that it's thus saith the Lord. It means, you know, when God was uh, taking Israel uh, out from Egypt, God did this or this. And I believe that God is just exhorting us today to trust in him, even in the dry places and da, da, da. But sometimes what happens, exhortation then gets mixed up with individual revelation or teaching. Now we have a mismatch of what should not be. Prophecy, tongues and interpretation, is not the teaching office. And it is not the opportunity to teach. But when children are growing, they go through these stages. Well, well, why don't you just stop, stop it? Intent and motive. If you break the spirit when they're young, they'll never grow up to be spiritual people. And then you have people that will come up and prophesy, and they would tell how they got the prophecy. Well, I had a dream. Now, what is a dream? A dream is, I spoke to you once, I spoke to you twice, you didn't pay attention. In other words, kids go to sleep when you're talking to them, adults stay awake. So, they come, and instead of just giving the interpretation, which a prophecy or a tongue or a dream should be interpreted, it doesn't have to be told, it just needs to be interpreted. Why? Because God told you one way because of your spiritual growth, but he wants you to give it to a church as if you're mature in Christ. And one of the parts of maturing in Christ is not only hearing in a language from heaven, which is dreams and visions, but interpreting the language. And so you tell the interpretation, don't tell how you got it. But that's how children do. When I was a child, I spake as a child. And the reason I'm saying that, I'm not criticizing anybody. And if, if you think, oh, he's just talking against me. No, I, I'm not talking at you. Everybody else talking about you, not me. Amen. And, and so you've you got to realize, look, I'm, I'm trying to help you. And, and if we don't get instruction, then we just end up being children all the time. Amen. Listen, I've, I've buddy, I've, listen, I've, I've called blind people out and prayed for them and, and had to send them back to their seat or lead them back to their seat because they were still blind. Well, did you miss God? Well, evidently I did. So I, I didn't get it right. Doesn't mean I still don't play, pray for blind people. I do. But, and then so you have that class that always says, well, you know, I saw or I did. See, and they are giving how God brought or inspired them to prophesy. We don't want the outside of the corn. Just put the corn on the plate. Amen. I don't want to know how you, oh, honey, I worked all day shucking this corn and I did this. Who cares? Just bring the butter. Put it on the table so I can eat it. Why? Because how you got it does not edify, comfort, and exhort. The interpretation of what you got edifies, comforts, and exhorts. So when we go through childish things like that, we, we don't want to... Oh, boy, do we have to listen to that? Well, that may be the way that God is dealing with them right now. But we migrate out of those things. 
could have given amen. It's like uh, I, I remember, and Phyllis's mother could always interpret dreams. And uh, so every time if I had a dream, I'd call her and say, Mommy, could you interpret this? Just, just be easy. <laughs> she said, well, Pete, I can only tell you what God says. And I'll just tell you, it sounds to me like you're heading for hell. <laughs> oh, Jesus, Mommy, please. And uh, she was just brutal. She was just frank, honest. I hated that about her. And uh, anyway, but then Phyllis, has, she interprets dreams. Now, I interpret them if I think it's important. If I don't, I just say, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I just, because here, here's the thing I got. If God gives me a dream, I expect him to give me the interpretation. Now, I can get somebody else's interpretation. I could, and sometimes I tell Phil, what do you think this means? What, you know, then I just keep that in mind until I hear from God. Because I'm not going to move out on a word that God has given me if I haven't heard from God what it means. Amen? He shows me a, a dream about three little pigs, you know, I want to know what pig gets eaten and what pig don't. Because I don't want to be where the pig gets eat. I want to be the pig that gets away. And so I'm going to say, God, tell me which one's fastest. <laughs> so, but that's me. That doesn't mean everybody's like that. But I'm just telling you, if God gives you a dream, then... He will interpret. Remember, if a man speaks in an unknown tongue or if God delivers to you an unknown tongue, pray that you would interpret. So I want for God to speak to me what a word means. So when these gifts, when the gift of prophecy is in operation, we understand that people are entering into a place that they may not be familiar with, it may be a new operation for them. They're using their faith. They're trying to be obedient to God. They love their congregation. They love the people that are around them. And they want to edify, comfort, and exhort them. But we as the church have to be mature to allow mistakes to happen and still believe in the gift and encourage them to be used. Amen? Let me say this in closing. There is not one gift of God that will run a sinner out of the church. Them lying people that say that are, are just not truth tellers. That's what they're not. They're afraid of the Holy Ghost. You may think that we're mad but I'll tell you what, when you talk in tongues, you may think that it'll drive people away, but the book of Acts said 3,000 got saved in one day on the same street that Jesus carried his cross on. One day they were crying, crucify him, crucify him. The next day they were bending their knees saying, he is Lord and King of Kings. So don't, don't even tell me that the gifts embarrass you. You are an embarrassment to the gifts. I better get out of here because I've...
All right, let's praise God. Let's lift our hands up just for a moment. God, I just loose. I just loose, God. I loose the gift of prophecy. I loose the gift of prophecy, God, in the name of Jesus to activate, to be stirred up, God, to use our congregation. God, people that have never been used, use them, God. Use them, God, to bring forth a word that'll change our atmosphere. That God will just erupt the service. That it'll be as if God spoke on the road of Damascus. That God, it'll be the voice of God through a yield believer. God, we just ask you to use us today in the gift of prophecy. God, we love you. We know that we need them. We depend upon you. And Holy Ghost, we say, come. Come, come with all the fervor and the fire and the zeal that has been waited to be poured out. Come, come to us and use us that Jesus may be glorified. And God, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Sunday morning, praise God to see you. Hallelujah.